if I didn't get up and go give her a hug at the door um, when she would get home from work or something like that, she'd be like, you know, when I was a kid, all eight of us would get up when <laughs> Baba got home and we'd go hug him and kiss him at the door and you won't even do that for me. And I'd be like, okay, mom, you're right. And then like, I'd maybe like... <laughs> One day she just started bawling her eyes out out of nowhere and I was like, why are you crying? She's like, I miss Nana Susie. And she's never met her before, you know? So, but And I was just like looking at my husband. I'm like, oh my gosh. And she bawled for like a good 30 minutes. I actually went skydiving like the day after the funeral and the, th- the second day after the funeral. So I went skydiving in two days. I just wanted to like get out of the house. I literally like told everyone off in my house. Like my mom would not want this to be a- going down the way it is right now with the way that everyone's grieving. So like whoever wants to come with me, I'm out. He would always give me this like bear hugs and he would always like squeeze me really tight and it- I'd always say, like, it was always our joke. I'd say, I have to go to the bathroom. I got to go to the bathroom. So he'd let go, and I'd be like, oh, gotcha. Hi, all. Peter here. And it gives me great pleasure to open up the second half of 2023 with the Assyrian podcast. It's been quite some time since you've heard from me, but I was in the midst of a podcaster's block, just like writers may experience writer's block. This past August, I was fortunate enough to convene four individuals who have experienced the loss of a parent, or in one case, both parents. All of the participants that you hear from today are very dear to me, and they most likely don't know it, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about their respective circumstances as they navigate through life after the loss of a parent. I know that this isn't an easy subject to discuss, but when I think about who to interview or what theme to pursue, I think about the end user, in this case, you, the listener. What can you take away from this episode? Is there an application for your life? On another note, the Assyrian podcast family sends its deepest condolences to the victims of the wedding fire in Bardeda. I'd like to thank the Assyrian American Civic Club of Turlock for so graciously hosting this panel discussion. And with that, navigating through life after the loss of a parent. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Peter Ibrahim. On behalf of the Assyrian Podcast, as as one of the co-hosts, I welcome you all to this discussion on the loss of a mother or father dealing with the loss of a parent. And if you can kind of each introduce yourselves from left and then to my right. Yeah, Paul Gabriel. I live in San Jose, California. Good to be here. Anthony Darcy, uh, born and raised in Turlock. Arbella Mason, uh, also born and raised in Modesto. Krista Marilia, born and raised in Turlock, California. So thanks again for accepting my invite. I truly appreciate it. I appreciate each and one of you to be not only part of the panel, but be here in person, taking time out of your, your day, your lives, away from your children. It could be a break or it could be a little bit of a burden being away from them, but I truly appreciate that. So the first question is, what happened? I'll start. Um, so my mom passed away in October of 2008. It was sort of sudden. We sort of knew something was wrong, but didn't quite know exactly what was wrong. Um, She was having congestive heart failure symptoms where fluid was building up around her heart and typically she um, they gave her this medication that would kind of drain the fluid and she would be fine. 
she went and tried to get some testing done and different procedures and they just kept telling her you have irregular heartbeat it's normal people live with it it's nothing life-threatening um, deep down I think she knew she kept continuing to get tests and you know requesting things um, but they just kept telling her it's normal it's normal and she went about her day you know more or less normally and then it happened on a Sunday it was October 19th and uh, she had gone to church that day and then came home and just wasn't feeling well and uh, my brothers were home I was actually at work and uh, at the time my father was translating in Iraq and so um, they came down and they said hey mom you feeling okay and she's like no I think you need to call the ambulance and so they called and uh, she didn't make it so it was kind of like we knew something was up but it was kind of sudden because they kept telling us it was normal yeah Mine was, uh, this is Anthony, mine was a little bit different. My mom was battling cancer for almost 20 years. And um, we, so I guess like within that time frame, you know, I was young, but we always just kind of grew up with our mom was sick uh, on and off. Towards the end, it was definitely like everyone kind of knew around us. Even my mom knew she was preparing for it. It was just more or more of like a, a gradual dwindling of like, her soul kind of and yeah so it was uh, about 11 years ago april 2012 and just kind of the cancer got the best of her it spread throughout her body in terms of like then it's or like organs started failing unable to eat and then that's kind of you know what what killed her at the end went to hospice she was there for a week and i remember being there every day at hospice and you know she was pretty much just silent uh, maybe she could hear us when we were talking to her, but I, I still remember like the week before being able to speak to her, like our last words and so on, which which was, I guess, kind of nice in terms of being able to do that and kind of say goodbye before like, Arbella's, like a, a sudden situation happening like that. And then I was in college and uh, so we were in hospice for a week. I was on spring break. It happened to like line up randomly. And uh, but I had to go back to class. It was the first day of like the spring semester if you don't go to class you get dropped out of your class so I had to go back so I remember Sunday night driving back to college and uh, Monday I got the call like Monday evening that she had fully passed away even though she had been kind of silent for like a week and um, yeah had the funeral basically like the following Friday and I was able to come back for that who, who called you uh, my brother um, I'll, I'll chime in with my story. This is Kristen. Um, very similar to Anthony's in a sense that my father passed away in March of 2020 from cancer. He was diagnosed in 2013 with stage four um, pancreatic cancer. And at the time, it was very unexpected when he was first diagnosed, very healthy, very active. And then um, he started having a little bit of yellowing and we took him to a family friend that was a doctor and he basically you know did a quick blood test and noticed things are not um, looking very normal as far as his, his levels so we took him over to stanford and when they did some procedures they noticed that it was bile duct cancer and the surgery itself that they had to perform was about a five percent chance of survival and if he was able to miraculously survive that he only had about a six months or so to live and so obviously, you know, we were very distraught at the time and just said, you know what, we 
we have our faith, we're going to pray, and whatever is to come it's, is going to come, and just took it one day at a time. He was able to miraculously, um, through the grace of God, survive the first surgery and was on the battle to recovery. And to kind of long story short, um, it started with in within his pancreas and just he went through surgeries and chemo and radiation for many years, and it, it ended up metastasizing and you know spreading throughout the body to different organs, and just continued the surgeries and the chemos and the radiation for many years, and up till about the seven-year mark when it was he kind of had maxed out already his chemo and his radiation, and um, you know it was just um, the time for him to go to heaven. So he ended up passing in March of 2020. But before he passed, similar to Anthony's situation, you know, my father's, one of his last wishes was not to pass in the home because he didn't want, you know, us to have bad memories when we would um, go around the house knowing, oh, this is where he passed. So we ended up taking him to the local hospice center. And after a few days of there, um, being there, he had passed. This is Paul. I'll um, share my story. So uh, both my parents have passed. My mother passed from cancer uh, over 12 years ago. Um, she had stomach cancer. Hers was pretty quick. By the time they diagnosed it, uh, it already they already uh, seen it as stage four. And about six months later, a few months of hospice at home, um, she passed away. At the time, I was working a field job. And luckily for me, my, I grew up in Monterey, California. Lucky for me, part of my territory was actually Monterey. So I did get to spend a good amount of time at home while my mom was there in hospice. I was I was pretty young. I was in my mid-20s uh, at the time. Uh, so obviously pretty jarring for everything that, to happen the way that it did with her. And then my father passed away um, just over two years ago. Um, he also had pancreatic, just like Kristen's dad. Similar situation, a really aggressive surgery he had to do up front, uh, which luckily he was eligible for. Not everybody is. And then from there, the expectancy, you know, ranged, um, but he had about 20 months uh, after the initial diagnosis um, until the end. So got to spend some good time with him, but obviously COVID had started at that point, which, you know, piled on, I think, to some of what everyone would probably be going through in a similar situation where you're trying to do things right. You're trying to be there for your family member as much as you can, but obviously everything was in place. It was, it was you know, he had been diagnosed right before the start of COVID. So Everything that was going on did make it a little bit more difficult to try to find a way to spend time together. But uh, yeah, about 20 months later, he, he passed away. Was there anything you got answers to or felt peace about after their passing? I can chime in. I think um, when you see someone very close to you going through something very difficult, especially um, being ill, the biggest thing, I guess, um, when they leave the peace, they definitely give you that peace that for you to know, you know, that person that you love and care for is no longer in a sense suffering as far as um, with the illness and you know they have truly been given that peace and that relaxation and that joy now um, instead of seeing them constantly undergoing surgeries constantly seeing them you know in bed constantly seeing them unwell you kind of have though you don't have them physically here which is very difficult you at least have a little bit of comfort knowing that when you love someone they're truly um, comfortable now and no longer suffering physically. Same here. I think that's one of the, especially when it comes to cancer or any other illnesses that they've fought for a long time and are suffering, like being at peace. And especially I would say if they're faithful in terms of like their 
whether it's Christian or whatever faith, like my mom was very, and she was sort of preparing herself to go to heaven. And, and she was at peace with dying, which helped us be at peace. So yeah, very, very similar. Yeah. Um, you know, similar to Anthony's situation, I think, uh, although my mom's was more sudden, she would be saying for years prior to her passing, like, I'm ready. Like whenever God is ready to take me, I'm ready. And I'd always be like, Mom, stop saying that. Like, you know, don't wish death upon yourself. You know, she's like, no, I don't care. I'm ready. Like, I'm just ready to go see Jesus. So that, like, when she did pass, it was like, okay, well, she was ready. So, you know, we have to be ready as well, you know. What feels special and or meaningful about the relationship you had with your loved one? I mean, I feel like a parent is a parent. And I think that holds a special place in everyone's heart. Um... I feel like mothers are like they're the housekeepers, they're the glue to the family, they they're the schedulers, they're the personal assistants, the physicians, like they kind of do it all in the house. And so I think losing any parent is taking a piece from your heart that kind of can never be replaced. So I I mean I think any parent holds a special place in someone's heart. And I think to add on to that, I mean I was very lucky to have such a very close relationship with my father. I know, you know, we, we always hope that people have a very close relationship with their parents, but this, that's not always the case. So for me, something that was very special about him was just he was my father was always the person to go through go to for everything. I mean, similar to my mom, but he was always instilled the importance of faith, love, dedication, um, you know, working hard, just so many different things that he instilled in us that I was very blessed to have 24 years of my life with him. And so him not being here, obviously, um, is very difficult. But I was just to look back on those 24 years and say I had memory, many memories with him, many things that he taught me. A lot of the stuff that he instilled in, in me will continue to be with me as I progress in this life. How do you comfort someone who has lost a loved one? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, well, obviously, I think everybody grieves differently. Even one individual might grieve differently from one moment after something happens to the next. So I think one thing that I've learned, maybe what I benefited the most from is, you know, I change, my needs change, the things that I was looking for change. And if you kind of take yourself out of the picture and, you know, have have somebody else there who maybe might need you, um, I mean, it can, it can range. You know, maybe, maybe that person just wants somebody to talk to. Maybe they just want someone to sit in the room with them and do nothing. Maybe they want to go out and have a drink and just get their mind off of it altogether and I had people who would say like hey I, I want to help I just don't know what to do and usually my answer would just be like you're doing it you're here we're you know we're, we're talking we're doing whatever it is that you know maybe gets my mind off things or maybe we have a you know more in-depth conversation because I'm ready for it but I think you have to be cognizant of the fact that you can't push people into a certain part of the process of grieving if they're not ready for it and while you can maybe guide if they're asking some questions, ultimately that person has to be ready to receive for you to be able to give. So it really just depends on what they're looking for. Yeah, I would say it definitely depends on the circumstances of the of the death, of the, the person that um, you're trying to comfort and so on. I always, I don't know, I try to resort to, to humor. Um, that's always something that like just brightening their day, making them laugh, whether it's, you know, the days after something happened or the months or years even after just like being able to think about the happy things um 
I remember I used to joke and this was told to me. So then I started telling people after that, like once they lost a parent, you're part of the dead parents club, which was like morbid, but also like funny. It's almost like this club that you're part of that only each other like that are part of it knows how it feels or what it means, especially if they passed away young, like when you were young. I think there's an element of uh, definitely depends on the circumstances, but I think humor goes a long way. How did the deceased impact your life? I think, like I said earlier, I think a parent raises you and they, they shape who you are with your morals, your standards, your how you deal with other people. So I think a parent definitely impacts your life in a major way. Specifically, I was the only daughter. I was um, 18 at the time when my mom passed away. She didn't have any sisters. I had one uh, paternal aunt who was much older and out of state. I did have some uncles, wives and stuff that were there for me that were amazing. But um, I feel like not having your mom or a mother figure when you're the only girl and you're fairly young, I was like a pretty naive 18 year old. I think a lot of people put pressure on me and would say like, oh, you know, you have big shoes to fill. And I think it was intimidating, but it also toughened me up and gave me like tough skin and made me step up to the plate. So I feel like it definitely made me stronger. I mean, I know that's kind of cliche to say, but felt like my brothers and my dad needed kind of that motherly figure cook in the house and things like that so um yeah i just had to step up and learn a lot quicker than i was anticipating but it just yeah toughens you up makes you stronger i think arbel you mentioned your brothers and your dad so when you assume that quote-unquote role Mm -hmm. how how did they perceive it how did they accept it you know they were always very they i feel like they never put the pressure on me it was more like other people say, you know, oh, you got to step up, like you got big shoes to fill. Your mom was this, your mom was that. And I'm like, I know she was that. And it's hard, you know, like it was kind of scary, but I tried my best. I know this sounds like a little cheesy story, but when I was like 10 years old, I used to love cooking and watching my mom cook. And I would ask her like, mom, what's, can you give me the recipe for kobahamot? And she'd be like, uh, you know, mom's eyeball everything. So um, she would tell me like a tablespoon of this and a teaspoon of that, but it was never exactly accurate. And so um, I'm so thankful because I wrote those down. And so it was a lot of trial and error. A lot of my food was not very good at first, but man, when I nailed it, my brothers would be like, oh my gosh, this tastes just like mom's. And that was wow. like the most validating feeling. Like it was really cool to see them appreciate it. And it kind of, even if for a slight moment, kind of brought back that memory it was it was really cool so um to kind of go off what arabella said i mean i think when you obviously understand the impact a parent has on your life but i don't think you really understand it until after they've passed and you really like they always say you know you don't know what you have until it's gone um i think more so i saw of course the impact of my father while he was living but more so i saw after he passed to say wow how much he really did for us in our lives how much he really took care of the family, really worked hard, was just did so much to, you know, keep us, you know, okay and content while he was living, but as well to to comfort us while he was gone as far as, you know, having the house, everything is set for us financially, all these different things. And you see the impact of it later on in your life um, when they're no longer with you. And as well, I think really stepping up, you know, 
I'm not stepping up to the role as a father, but really seeing the impact of now, okay, he did so much. Now it's my job to continue what he did and also help, you know, my mom and my sister and my family as much as I can because he did so much for us. So let me take all that now and, and, and give it back. Um, so you definitely see that impact um, in different ways when they're gone. Yeah, I think uh, similar to that, I feel like you, you end up like seeing them and everything you do and remembering what they did and like just for example I don't drink anything while I eat and that was just introduced to me by my mom like she was on some weird health kick she heard about that helped with I don't know there was random like health things that we went through as a family because she was trying to be like health conscious during you know the 15 or so years again everything you kind of do you relate to it or you remember it and it's like oh yeah I remember you know she did that and so there's like this weird subconscious impact that it has on you and, and like Kristen said you don't really realize it until they're gone and then also I feel like as when you're in the role of or in the the state of um, looking for a significant other I feel like you might start comparing th- that person to who you might be looking for um, especially if it's, you know, the opposite sex, it's say like, I'm trying to find someone who mimics sort of the personality or the, the love or the kindness that like my mom shared. And that's almost like innate, like human nature type thing. So that's definitely an impact that you, you feel like even though they're gone, there might be like, you know, a new person that can kind of take that sort of uh, feeling and, and give it back to you almost. Um, Can I jump back? Actually, that's funny that you mentioned that, Anthony. Although it was my mom who passed away, and I clearly am not looking for a female. (laughs) Um, But um, even in my mother-in-law, I was kind of, you know, worried. I'm like, I wonder how it's going to be like with her. And, you know, people always picture, like, how their mom is going to react with their mother-in-law and things like that. And it sounds like such a silly little story, but um, we used to have a huge lemon tree in our backyard. And um, it was more lemons than we knew what to do with. So whenever there was too many, my mom would pick them all and she would juice them and then freeze them in ice cube trays. So she always had lemon juice. And um, people would always be like, oh, that's so smart. I never thought of that. And I remember when um, my husband and I were dating at the time, uh, I went over to his family's house and I saw her juicing lemons and freezing them in ice cube trays. And I was like, yes, that's exactly like my mom, you know? And so, um, man, Shout out to my mother-in-law. She's amazing. But yeah, it's you look for those things from your parent and, you know, your significant other or your (laughs) in-laws in my case. But yeah, just thought I'd share. How do you navigate moments when you miss your parents or parent and wish that they were still with you? Yeah. First of all, I want to say I appreciate the way that you phrased this question because you really do have to navigate it. You really have to figure out the right way for you that works anytime these things come up and they come up often. I think early on in the process, it's easy to like stumble on certain thoughts or things that just kind of spiral you out of control and then you end up, you know, worse for the wear. But sort of through, you know, trial and error, you start to realize there's a way that I can think about this and maybe there's like a two, three, four, five step process that I should go through whenever I have these thoughts creep into my mind. But I think you really have to come back to you know, appreciation for the, you know, experiences that you did have, the memories that you do have. And while you might want more, 
for me, I always think how great would it have been if my mom got to meet my son um, or if my dad got to spend more time with my son. Of course, I want that, but at the same time, I'm grateful for what we did have. And also, it's important to remember like with those little pieces that you know you pick up as, especially as a parent, I do things now that I, you know, to, and say things to my son. Now, a minute later, I'll be like, man, that was Mumtaz coming out of me 100%. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, you start to kind of appreciate those little things there. But I think the thing we should all really remember is this never goes away. You know, you, you never get into a point in your life, no matter how much time passes, that you think anything different than I wish they were still here. It doesn't matter if you're 75 years old when your parents pass away. You're still going to think... I wish I had a little bit more time for this, that, or the other. It's just about how do you take what you did have and make that a part of the present day since, you know, they never really leave you. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, when my mom passed away, um, a friend of mine said she had lost her dad when she was younger too. And she's like, you never get used to, or she said, it never goes away. You just get used to it. And I was so frustrated with her, like, why would you tell me that, you know, <laughs> like, I wanted more encouragement and hope. But now that years have gone by, like, I get it. I get what she means. It never really goes away, but you just get used to it. I think there's, like, in terms of the moments when you miss them, I think there's uh, probably bad ways to navigate it. And, and definitely there's more impactful and healthier ways to, to navigate it. It's very easy, I feel like whatever situation you're in if you feel a lot of grief to like get into bad things whether that's drugs or alcohol or anything to just like numb the pain and you know that might be also a phase that you kind of go through as well but those are usually you know never the answer I would say never not just not usually never the answer just never the answer because it always just comes back right so you have to learn better healthier coping mechanisms in those scenarios is there anything you regret or wish you would have done before they passed? I'm honestly thankful to say there isn't anything that I regret. I loved him to the fullest. I don't think I ever said anything, you know, maybe without apologizing, that I can look back now and say, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't say there. I wish I would have apologized or so forth. So I think kind of the lesson from that is to always make sure, you know, you love correctly and you say sorry when you need to and never leave a day Um, being angry at somebody because you never know what's going to happen. But to answer the second part of the question, something that I wish I um, would have learned but or so before they passed was was actually a funny thing that my dad's specialty was always making bushala. Um, And for the listeners that don't know, it's like an Assyrian um, yogurt soup or like a porridge, I guess you can say. And it was his favorite. And right when it would hit kind of like the winter time, or it would get a little bit cold in California, it was bushala season. So from like maybe end of September, early October, to it would fluctuate maybe to like February, it was bushala season. And my dad was obsessed with making it. I mean, he would work all day long and then come home and make bushala. It was the weekend and he would make bushala. And he always had this song that he would sing and um, he'd say, uh, it was like every day, every night, bushala time. And he would be like running around the house singing the song so we knew like it was a time. Um, so um, it was like just a joy to like just watch him and uh, it's like I guess like a little bit um, background so he was an engineer so he was very creative and the way to make bushala is you really really have to stir it for a long period of time to get the right consistency so I have a video of him like putting like a grill like a little bit of like a, um, on top of 
the pot and then putting a drill like an automatic drill but taking off the top part and putting like a wooden spoon and then it would like just sit there and it would turn turn maybe we could share the video on instagram i don't know it's hilarious so he would just um love it and it was just an amazing presence to have in the in the house pure entertainment so i guess what i wish i would have would be to have learned how to make this bouchada because we would just kind of take it for granted he would just be making and we just watch him but not really attentively so if I could, I would go back and just watch him and take notes so that I can mimic the exact way that he did it um, to carry on, you know, in our lives. I think I, you know, sadly, I probably do have some regrets, um, probably more so with my mother than my father. Mainly with my mom, you know, as I said before, I was, I was young. I was in my mid-20s. I think I was 25 when she got diagnosed. I was a 25-year-old boy still, you know, like I... I didn't do the things my mom always wanted me to do as far as like, hey, call me every day. And when I would, it'd be like, okay, quick, you know, one, two minute check in because, you know, that wasn't the thing that was like top of mind for me the most. And I always regretted that. And I always, I always think back on that and think, man, like I, I wish I had done more to just have had a stronger, closer relationship with her because I knew she obviously, you know, she was obsessed with all of her kids and she probably just wanted to have that like next level, deeper relationship. And I don't know, I never got to experience it, but I think like I probably would have gotten even closer to her once I got into my, you know, the time in my life that I would, you know, be starting my own family and have more things that I would want to ask her about. Hey, what do you think about this? Can you help with that, et cetera? And, you know, I didn't really get the opportunity to do that. But I, I will say through that, after my mom passed, I was much more intentional with my dad and the relationship that we had. And happy, you know, that, that, you know, I had the opportunity to make some changes in my life. You know, obviously I got older, you know, I had another 11 or so years um, with my dad before he got sick, where I got to, you know, build on our relationship. We, you know, we grew up, I grew up in Monterey, so like we golfed a ton. We would do like one annual trip a year. Um, and that kind of became like the thing that we would do. And I don't know if I would have been as intentional about making sure I would do that if I hadn't lost my mom before losing my dad. But I think it teed me up to appreciate that time more and and also just say, hey, you know what, like life is short. Make the most of the time that you have left. You know, even I, I have a friend actually who talked to me about this in a certain way, which I really appreciated his perspective on. He's like, hey, you know, I'm whatever, 40 years old now. And, you know, my parents are this old. I get to see them once or twice a year. So when I come home to Turlock, and everybody wants to see me, I understand that like maybe my parents have like another 10 years left, 15 years left. That means I only have this many more times that I actually get to see my parents. So maybe I piss off some people by not seeing them. But I think that kind of perspective, like you don't really think about when you're, you know, in your 20s, you definitely don't think about it then. But the more you go through this kind of stuff and see what happens, you know, to other people around you, I think you start to appreciate those kinds of perspectives and try to instill that out, not only in your own life with your parents, but also like with everybody else. I think that's that's something we all need to, you know, just make a little bit more part of our lives with our extended family, the people we love the most and that matter, you know, in our lives. A regret I have, um, I guess, not necessarily relationship wise with my mom, but I have this thing about me. I know it's really weird, but I hate graduation ceremonies. <laughs> I don't know why. I think maybe I'm traumatized when I was like a band geek in high school and we'd have to play 
pomp and circumstance for hours. Um, but so when I graduated high school, I just refused to go to my graduation ceremony. And my mom got so mad at me. She like didn't talk to me for a week. And I was like, mom, I graduated. I just don't want to go to the ceremony. And she was so furious with me. And I was like, who cares? I'm going to walk stage when I graduate college. Well, she didn't get to see me, you know, graduate college. So I made it a point, even though I didn't really want to go, <laughs> that when I got my bachelor's degree, I went to my graduation. So that was just a, a little funny story. But yeah. <laughs> what was the most surprising thing about the experience? And I won't define experience. I think we've clearly established that it's not just one kind of a one-time experience, but it, it, it could be something that you navigate and you have to process. So with that, what was the most surprising thing about your experience with dealing with the loss? I think for me, um, before my father passed away, I would always see like social media posts when someone would pass and they would be like, oh, I'm, I think about you every day or I'm going to think about you every day. And I would honestly be like, oh, that's quite dramatic. I think it's exaggerated. I don't think that person is going to think about whoever had passed in their life every single day. So I think the most surprising thing for me, and I was definitely proven wrong, was when my father passed away, until this point, I truly have thought about him every day. And you definitely go back and see that impact because there's not a day that goes by that I'm not reminded of him, whether it be pulling up my phone and seeing like a camera roll and like the memory pops up, oh, three years ago today, five years ago today, or driving and I'll see something. Um, that reminds me of him, whether it's his name or um, something that draws a memory or in a conversation. So I think the most surprising thing was that no matter how much time has passed, you truly, that per you can think about that person every day or see their presence somehow working in your life every day um, once they're gone. What was surprising for me was sort of like the finality of it. It's so weird that just one day they're there and then the next day, like you will literally never see them again. I never thought about that before. It's just like, you know, a week later, a month later, you're like, oh, you know, it's like almost in your head, like, oh, they're just going to show up, walk through the door one day, and then, like, they're not. And also sort of how the world moves on without them and everything else, like, and everyone else just kind of, especially, like, let's say there was hundreds of people that showed up to the funeral, but really only, like, seven people are feeling that person's impact till this day where everyone else is kind of just like whatever so that's weird for sure just to think about like yeah like everything just kind of continues and moves on without them and you're left sort of dealing with it uh, maybe with a few others you know family members very very close friends of theirs and so on how did their passing change you or the way you view yourself kind of going back to you know filling big shoes I think that was a lot of pressure and it was scary and I felt I was almost angry at people for kind of putting that pressure on me. Whoever knew my mom knew she was on top of everything. She volunteered. She, you know, was involved in every organization and things like that. And so to think that I had to do that was scary and it was intimidating. Touching on what Anthony just said about kind of feeling stuck and everyone else moves on. And I feel like people dump this pressure on me and then they got to walk away from it, but I still had to deal with it. And so I think that was kind of hard and it made me sort of retract. Like I felt, I don't know, I kind of pulled away from people. I kind of was a little drier towards people. I I wouldn't say I was mean to people, but I was always 
prior to her passing, I was always the person that people would come to and, you know, ask for advice and just vent. And I'd be like, oh, it's okay. And, you know, I was like that person. And then when people would start coming to me with their vents, I'd kind of like look at them like, I'm dealing with so much more than what you're talking to me right now. And I don't have time. Like, I don't, I can't even deal with your problem right now because mine is so big. And so I kind of felt like I was, I mean, I never outright told anybody that, but in my in my heart, in my head, I was just kind of like, like, I'm done with you. Like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, um, it, I felt like I was a mean person. And then I started hating myself for it. And it, it took me a few years to kind of pull myself out of that. So um, I think I was hard on myself. I was not my bubbly personality that I used to be. And I think it took time to kind of pull myself out of that. But uh, somebody actually was really nice. My cousin and I and this friend went out to to eat and uh, my cousin was like, man, your mom always had the best taste in shoes. And I go, yep, and I wear the same size, so I get to keep them all. <laughs> and then this uh, friend that we were out with had also lost his parent. And um, at the end, he's like, you know what? Don't worry when people tell you you have big shoes to fill, just remember you wear the same size. And yeah. I was like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> so just reassuring yourself, I think. I think it's like different stages. Arbella said in the beginning, it's like some feelings or some things that make you act a certain way. And then later on, you try to fix those things. Like that was kind of what happened to me. Like I feel like I fell off the wagon at first for the first couple of years and just kind of like did whatever I wanted. Almost like, you know, I was mad at the world type thing. So I'm just going to live my life the way I want to and not think about, you know, any of the things that she taught me or any of the things that I learned you know, in my childhood or anything like that. And then realizing that what they were trying to teach you all along was like the right thing and coming back to that and almost having some sort of like return to like, hey, everything's going to be fine. And, and I should, you know, still try to be a good person and, and live the way, you know, she would want me to. And I think also it changes you in a way that you perceive the world in a sense that maybe before, like we all mentioned it, like sometimes it could be more sudden um, when someone passes or you you know, you know that they're going to pass, but the timing is always unexpected. So just to, um, it changes you in a way that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, never leave a day um, upset with someone or angry or um, maybe, you know, quickly forgive just because you don't know what's going to happen when you leave that person or what's going to come the next day. So just to never have that regret and just live every day like it's your last and not in a way that, you know, go crazy and do whatever you want, but just to Take advantage of every day to the fullest, prioritize the people closest to you, prioritize the most important things in your life and make sure you kind of go to sleep every day with like a clear conscience and um, know that, you know, whatever's going to come tomorrow, I'm kind of in a sense prepared or, or trying my best to be as prepared as possible for what is to come. How did their passing change your relationship with your surviving parent? Yeah, I think similar to uh, what was mentioned earlier, I think you definitely start clinging to them a little more, cherishing the time that you have. You know, you don't know when anyone's going to die, so it's like, uh, like it's been said already, you just start to, like, be closer to the people around you, especially that surviving parent. They, it depends on what your age is, right? But sometimes they have to start to assume both roles as the father and the mother, uh, which is weird if it's, like, your mother passing because your father is now, like, the motherly role in your life too it's hard on them for sure so you also have to like comfort them and you just end up comforting each other but yeah definitely getting closer probably closer than you 
would normally want, depending on the age. Like Paul said, I think it's like if it's in your 20s, you kind of don't care. But then all of a sudden you're hit with something that makes you care. And then when you're in your like, you know, your late 20s, 30s, you start to potentially have a family of your own and you, you see these relationships building. And so you want like your your grandfather to be close, let's say, to your kids because you don't know, you know, how long they're going to be around for either and so on. That's kind of how it was for me. Yeah, I mean, just piggybacking a little on what Anthony just said. You know, I spoke earlier to like how it changed the way I wanted to be with my dad and how I wanted our relationship to to kind of evolve, knowing that you get shook. Like every, all this, like all of a sudden, like the things you not took for granted, but the things that you just kind of like lived by and like was kind of like just a rule of life, all of a sudden it changes drastically. So like it kind of shakes you into trying something else um, and saying, hey, I want to be closer. But I think the thing you start to realize too is like the, the surviving parent is also just another person and there's only so much that that person can do before they do something that you say okay well now you're screwing up and it's like that's not fair you know everybody's gonna have a hard time with the process it's not fair to expect more out of that person when they haven't done all those things throughout their lives and it can of course cause a little bit of strain but I think the, the main thing is like to continue to work towards it you know to try to be patient with one another because there's still obviously a lot of love there and it's just you you kind of have to like redefine like what are the what are the rules now like how how are we going to operate as like a family unit because things have changed like either parent plays a super important role in a family dynamic and when you remove one of those parents from the equation there's like this vacuum that gets created and either somebody steps in or it's left kind of like not taken and it's just chaos so you know with my family like we worked we worked really hard on it to like to get to a point where we could find some sort of like stability again and you know keep doing the things that we wanted to do together to enjoy the time that we you know we did get to to have together the main thing for us is like we you, you really got to start to realize that like everybody's kind of in the same boat it's hard on everybody nobody's going to have the right answer and you know you got to work together on it there's not going to be one person who comes in and, like saves the day i think my brothers and i were kind of obviously giving everybody grace because everyone's dealing with it in a different way everyone's feeling some sort of loss for sure um, but I think it made my brothers and I a little like paranoid about losing my dad too, you know? So anything he would do would be like, don't do that because it's not healthy. And we already lost one parent. We can't lose you too. And so I think we kind of put that pressure on him that like he needs to stick around for us because we already lost one. And I think, yeah, it just made us super paranoid with everything he was doing. And, um, we were just extra careful and making sure he was safe and, now um, my dad has dementia and he's declining fairly quickly. So it's, we know it's, I don't, I mean, we don't know how many years he has left, but just seeing him decline is like hard because it's kind of bringing up those feelings again. I know, Paul, you said that you lost both parents. So, you know, I'm sure we could have conversations after, but yeah, it, def- it makes you more careful with your second parent, I feel like. I just wanted to add one random thought that I had because especially if people that are listening to this are like trying to cope through some sort of situation and that situation that I sort of had to deal it's a really weird and random one but like potential remarriage depending on how young you were and how young your parent was when they when their significant other your mom or your dad passed away Um, and this could even be for like dealing with a divorced parent or anything like that but you almost become like this weird gatekeeper and it's just this like random 
it's a relationship or like feeling or situation that you almost never want to be in and and people will come up to you and be like like still young he can get married or same thing i don't know if you're same thing with your mom or whatever and it's like don't tell me that don't sit here and be like yeah your, your dad should should get remarried and it's like yeah I'm, I'm sure he might want to or maybe he's not feeling enough like love or partnership with just like his immediate family so he just wants someone and that makes sense just being like a, a man you know now but it's such a weird thing to try to like navigate through that i don't know if, if you ever get in that situation just like talk to your friends that might have gone through that situation to try to deal with it because I feel like there was instances where like it could have happened and then people try to talk to me about it and I'm just like you know he'll he can do whatever he wants but I don't think he needs to or whatever like he you know has us and stuff like that it's it's um it's random I don't think I provided a good answer to like how to feel or what to do in this scenario but it's just like no you're not the only person going through that and maybe reach out to someone to to talk about it yeah I think bottom line is don't let other people butt into your family's business (laughs) So I'm going to go a little off script here because I, Paul mentioned the, the term vacuum. And I'm assuming so that your, your parents had siblings. And so did any of their siblings kind of try to fill that void or vacuum? And how, how did it make you feel in terms of them trying if they did? I, I mean, I think, yeah, I probably had one of my mom's sisters and now that my dad passed to one of my dad's brothers i wouldn't say they've tried to fill like the void as a parent and if you're asking how we feel positively or negatively about him it's definitely positive like i feel like i've gotten closer to my aunt because of this and i've gotten closer now to my to my uncle on my dad's side um you know after he passed away and like largely it's a it's a very positive thing and i think there is a little piece of me sometimes that also thinks like you know, like Narcisse is two and a half years old now, and like he never met his grandma. But I do think in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, at least he met my mom's sister, and that's like the next best thing. And I appreciate that. That makes me happy. It makes me happy when they're together. It makes me happy that she loves him, um, and she probably looks at him, you know, in in the same way as like a grandmother might. And I think that's something that's great about like you know most Assyrian family dynamics. Like, there's usually somebody there who kind of wants to play that role, but. I think I'm most appreciative of the fact that everyone's like respectful about it on like, you know, how, how that, how that experience is really kind of like almost in a way like led by us together, you know, as the parent with, uh, you know, the aunt or uncle, whoever it is. Who's Narse? Narse is my son. Yeah. I think it's a hand in hand. I think um, being that it was my father that passed with his siblings, it could kind of be like my, my dad was the only connection in a sense from them to us so you we, you can see it where maybe you lose touch with them but at the same time you know we saw them not in a sense you know try to fill the void but just try to be present in any way that they could obviously they are older he was the youngest sibling so and they don't have kids so it more difficult for them in a sense like how do we help you guys cope when we as well are also coping so I think it was just a time to kind of really step out and say you know even though he's not here, you know, we're all still family. We're all still close to each other. We don't just need to have him, in a sense, to connect us and just making sure that we do maximize the time with them. We still have family stuff with them together just to say, you know, we are here for you. We're coping with you. We're going through a similar situation as you are um, and them trying to help us as much as they can and as well us helping them as much as we can. 
Do you remember any favorite stories about childhood that the deceased loved to tell? Yeah, I, I definitely have a couple of favorites. Um, growing up, my dad would always be, you know, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, especially, you know, in high school. And then when I went to college, he'd be like, hey, still don't drink. I'm like, okay, dad. And he'd be like, and also like no drugs, no smoking, no this and that. I'm like, you smoked. He's like, I smoked cigarettes. And I was like, you never did anything else, dad. And he'd be like, well, you know, when I, you know, growing up, he grew up in, in Elkush. Um, he said, growing up, me and my brothers or my friends or whoever, like, we'd like go hiking into the hills around Elkush. And, you know, we'd eat like little berries or like things that kind of made us feel funny. And I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> like, so, so these are like the little stories that he would tell. Like my mom would tell some of these too. Not as, you know, not as, as um, in, the, in the same vein as what my dad was sharing, but it it kind of helped, like, draw a picture of, like, what life was like for them. And a, actually a big reason why in 2011, about 10 years after, sorry, one year after my mom passed, about 10 years ago, I guess a little couple more, um, my dad wanted to go back to Iraq. And I was like, I want to go with you. I want to I see what it's like. Um, so we went for, I think, two or three weeks. <laughs> Um, we did like the whole north um, just because I wanted to see it. Like, I heard stories about it my entire life. My dad hadn't been back in 30 plus years. He left in 77 and never got, had never gone back. Um, but it was really awesome to see like all these stories he would tell me growing up. He would actually like point out like, hey, this is what I was telling you about, you know, example A, B. You, know, you just show me all this stuff. And it was um, it was an awesome experience. Um, I'm incredibly happy I went with him on that and I think that's also kind of a part of it you know a year after losing my mom I was like that's definitely something I want to go do with my dad um I'm grateful for that but yeah I mean the story is like you never forget them because you know a lot of them can they're funny you know they remember him for a reason did you find the berries (laughs) (laughs) we we didn't we We looked we looked (laughs) who were you able to count on to help you through your grief how can your circle around you help with grief? And to what extent did the Assyrian community support you through this loss? I think definitely I was able to definitely count on my mom, my sister, my aunt, um, my mom's sister, and also my two cousins, Alexander and Isabella. I was very thankful at the time when pro to the pandemic was when my father passed away is March of 2020. So pretty much you were at home, there really wasn't much going out. So we were thankful because school was from home. So my cousins and my aunt actually came and stayed with us. Specifically, my cousin Isabella was with us for a few months at that time. So we were definitely able to connect with each other and not, you know, in a sense, when somebody passes on a normal occasion, you usually have everybody around you for the first few weeks and then kind of everybody goes on with their life except for the few people closest to you. So we were very thankful to have all of us together for many months and just to go through all of the emotions and just kind of try to carry on with the daily functions while coping. So I was very blessed to have them and it was definitely a tremendous impact that they had on on me at the time and I'm sure my mom, my sister, just to have each other there. Um, I think a lot of people stepped up that I was surprised did or a lot of people showed up to the house and I was like, oh wow, like that's so nice of them to come. Like I, a lot of people that I wasn't expecting to come came, but uh, I'll just, I wanna tread carefully on this topic, but uh, when my mom passed away, it was kind of at the peak of the church situation. And so there was a lot of people that I was hoping would be there that 
weren't. And so I think that was a little frustrating and made it more difficult than it needed to be. Um, but definitely um, immediate family was more or less there. Um, that was super helpful. Anthony, I don't know if you know this, but your mom and Violet would actually take me out um, once a month to go have coffee and just sit and talk. And it was really cool to have, you know, these women from church that we were all in choir together and stuff. Um, so definitely church family was helpful. Church ladies were amazing. They never let me like pick up, wash a single dish, serve a single chai. Like they were so awesome. Like they were there before I even woke up and left <laughs> like late at night and got everything ready for the next day. They were incredible. So um, definitely people that um, I wasn't expecting to s step up as, as much as they did was surprising and super helpful. I mean, the, the direct help that I had, um, obviously my, my wife, Vivian, like, I don't know how I would have made it through the process without her. She was, she was my, my rock throughout the entire thing. And having Narsa and my son also kind of just at least provided some sort of like this feeling of balance that like, you know, you're losing one thing, but at least gaining another at the same time. Both my sisters too. I mean, it was, it was the second time we were going through it with my dad. And I'm not saying it was easy. You know, there was, there was times where we would have to work through things together. But looking back at it now, I'm not sure how I would have done it without at least having those pieces in place. As far as friends, I think that's one of the great things about the Syrian community is like people rally behind you. You know, they hear something happens and like... Anthony mentioned it, you know, hundreds of people come to, to a funeral. Arbella mentioned, like, people from church will just call you and say, hey, like, let's go out, grab coffee, whatever it is. And I think those are some really great things about the Syrian community that are helpful. And I, I experienced that both times um, and was super appreciative of it. Um, I do think sometimes it can be tough with the Syrian uh, community, too, because the way we grieve is so intense also just like the way that Assyrians are I mean, Assyrians have a tragic history you know it's a thousand years of religious persecution massacres genocides and then it fuels this like trauma that we all have and then that trauma kind of fueled a diaspora that we took like all these feelings throughout the world with us and then we're all raised by parents who kind of live through that so you you continue to feel that and I think some of it is good but I don't think it's for everybody at the same time. I think there's some things that sometimes you say, hey, you know what? Like, I don't want to wear black for a year. And I don't think my mom or dad would have wanted me to do that either. There's a lot of pieces of it that are good. But I think there's some things that sometimes you just have to take a step back and say, is this, is this the right thing for me? And that's where you can and should be selective and just sometimes say no if you feel like it's not the right thing for you. Yeah, to that point, it, it was pretty funny the first couple days after uh, the funeral, same thing, a bunch of people came over, all wearing black, a lot of like women wailing and stuff, and I did not like really feel like into that. And I get it, like that's kind of how we grieve as the Israeli community, but I feel like I was able to rely on uh, some friends and, and family members, like cousins that ended up coming. I actually went skydiving like the day after the funeral and the, th the second day after the funeral. So I was skydiving in two days. I just wanted to like get out of the house. I literally like told everyone off in my house, like my mom would not want this to be a going down the way it is right now with the way that everyone's grieving. So like whoever wants to come with me, I'm out. 
And like a few of my cousins were like, yeah, let's do it. They've never done anything crazy before. And they're just like, let's go. <laughs> um, and then some of them did it. And so we came back, showed like literally played the videos of our skydiving. And then the next day, a, a new group of cousins were like, let's do it. Like we want to, we'll take you and let's go. Um, so yeah, just like being able to count on, if not like certain people and, and the way they grieve, like as our Assyrian community, but like your friends and family that understand, it, especially like other younger Assyrians that are like, yeah, I would feel the same way. Like this kind of sucks and being able to go through that. One other like positive thing that I would say about the Australian community is like similar to Arbella's mom, like since my mom was fairly involved and a lot of people knew her and she was just like a, a very nice, educated, kind woman who like helped people a lot. They always remind me of her. And like literally every time, if I haven't seen them in a long time, like this person that I'm about to talk to, they'll bring up my mom and be like, and she was just such an amazing woman. I can't believe she's gone. Like they always, literally every conversation that, I, that I've had like starts with that. And it's such a nice feeling to hear that, you know, in those situations. So um, I really do appreciate that when, when they, when sort of it just comes up from people that I haven't seen in our community in a while. I think we were very blessed with the Syrian community. I mean, we've grown up very um, close to the Syrian community, mostly through the outlet of the church. And even though, like I mentioned earlier, this was at the peak of the COVID pandemic and everything was kind of still up in the air, we had many, many, you know, parishioners still come to our house and just say, you know, we will come. If you're okay with it, we're going to come and see you guys. We just want to be there for you in any way we can. You know, they were just trying to bring food or even call or text and just simple things, even if physically they couldn't be close, just really stepping up and saying, you know, we're here for you. We're going to try to help you in any way we can. And they were trying to help in the, in the best way they can. And it truly made an impactful difference in our life at the time. Um, just to have them there, whether if it's just a phone call or a text or just leaving something at our door and then ringing the doorbell and then running back into their car. Like, <laughs> there were things like that that truly... Um, were amazing to us and we're so appreciative of them and it, I think the circle definitely makes a difference in your life and you need them you know you can easily go through the situation with the people most closest to you that are going through it and experiencing similar emotions to you but when you have people a little bit outside of that circle that are not like an immediate family that are just there um, they can they truly impact you in so many ways even if they don't think they are just their presence or their call or their text um, helps you along the way. A quick, quick follow-up question for Anthony. How did your aunts and uncles feel about taking their kids skydiving? <laughs> they were shocked, honestly. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I think, uh, like, they didn't even understand what was going on. It was literally just like, hey, guys, we're going to go. And then they came back, and they're like, I got them all. Like, we were doing the video. But, yeah, it, it's just like they knew me. They knew that I was just kind of, like, out there and did random things. My cousin, they were shocked that I was able to convince some of my cousins to go, but yeah, they're like Hemzim Macharta. I'd actually like to give a quick little shout out to a friend um, who I wasn't necessarily close with before my mom passed away, but showed up and then ended up we ended up becoming very close. She would just push me to do things that I didn't want to do because I was so like in my thoughts. And she's like, you know, get up, put on some makeup. I'm like, I don't feel like wearing makeup right now. And she's like, no, you're going to put on makeup. You're going to spray some perfume and we're going to go out to eat. 
And I'm like, I really don't, like, can we just go grab some McDonald's or something, you know? Um, but her kind of pulling me out of that funk was so helpful. And so um, sometimes you just need that push to, to get you out. <laughs> How do you handle moments when others may not fully understand or relate to your feelings of grief? And we've touched on a couple of the words, I think, that come to mind immediately. Arbella had said grace. I think I already said patience kind of in, in a different context. But I think, I think you start to realize, I mean, there's, there's no benefit to you in the long term in getting frustrated when somebody else maybe doesn't fully understand. And, of course, nobody wishes that, you know, they would go through that. But eventually at some point, you know, someone might tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I know you've been through this you know, can you give me a hand? And I think that's part of kind of what we're doing today too. But I think patience is key. Uh, not, nothing like this is personal. I think people either understand or they don't, and you just have to be patient. One example, um, at my mom's funeral, um, when they're, you know, wheeling the casket out, I wasn't crying. And then people were like looking at me, and they're like, cry, Betsy, cry, it's okay, cry. And I'm like looking at them like, I don't feel like crying right now. I've already cried a lot of tears, you know? And then on the Tlaye, the third day, um, I did cry. And somebody was like, why are you crying? She's with Jesus. And I, I realized in that moment that no matter what you do, somebody's going to have an opinion on how you should be grieving. I think the younger generation's a little better about that. So just try to let it go. I know it's not always helpful when people give their opinions, but try to let it go. You know, as a younger generation, I think we're a little more careful about what we say and how to help but yeah just don't don't tell people how they should feel because it changes day by day it changes by the hour you know sometimes i'll be laughing and then two seconds later i'm crying you know let the person going through the grief kind of read off of them to see you know how you should be i i think i just wanted to add like something that paul said it's like they either understand or they don't understand and so you kind of get to choose whether you want to explain it or not. And it depends on the person, how important they are to you. Kind of like any, if you experience any trauma in your past and you get confronted with that trauma in some scenario and like someone around you doesn't understand like why you're feeling a certain way because of that trauma or they don't know what the trauma is, then you choose to either expose them to it or not. And they either have something similar have had happen to them or not like some people just, I'm shocked when they like no one in their extended circle has ever like died that's close to them which is crazy but then like once they do maybe you can be there to help but I feel like yeah you're choosing whether or not you want to dive deeper into it um, or just kind of what I do a lot of the times if someone doesn't understand it's just like I just shut off and I'm like oh don't worry about it like and that's a, a totally acceptable way to go about it but maybe to the other person if they're close to you it's not so you can potentially like, yeah, depending on the person or the scenario, like open up to them and, and, and explain kind of how you're feeling. How much time had passed until you felt like you were able to accept the loss and move forward? When did you feel like you were going to be quote unquote okay emotionally? I think to be quite transparent, um, there hasn't, for me speaking, there hasn't been a time where I'm able to just say, okay, I've moved forward. I've you know, put that phase behind me and I'm all okay and I'm moving forward. I think like Arbella mentioned, it fluctuates as the days. Some days, you know, you're kind of like, okay, you know, my father has passed. We're still surviving. Just let's continue moving forward. And there's some moments that you kind of step back and you think, wow, is that person really gone? Like I'm never going to see them again. 
you know, I'm going to continue on with life without this person. And you kind of go, sometimes there's up and down fluctuation of emotions, and that's totally okay. That's part of the process of grieving. It's not like, you know, there's, they say there's always like those five steps, you know, to get through grief. It's not. I mean, there is, but there's also that up and down fluctuation, and each day presents the emotions that come with it, and you just have to step back and process those emotions. Um, you know, if it, it's like you said, just to cry a little bit or to, you know, talk, talk, pray, whatever it may be, just to get through that moment and just continue to move forward. Because yes, life does move forward. It does continue on. But you do have sometimes, you know, you go over a little bit of a bump and you need to collect your feelings and just handle it and then continue on. But I don't think, for some people it might be your okay emotionally and you're fine and you're you can move forward completely but I think for most people it's an up and down and it's it's an everyday battle or an every week battle and you just have to handle it and and continue on with whatever the day presents um I think the first year is super hard because it's obviously the year of first it's your first Christmas your first you know Thanksgiving your first birthday without that person but you also have more support in that first year because people know it's the first birthday, it's the first Christmas. I think the second year was the loneliest I felt because, you know, the shitas over the years done. Everyone else has obviously moved on with their life, which is understandable. And then you still kind of feel stuck in your emotions. So I feel like the second year was almost like harder. It was like a like a harder grieving process for my family because we were just us and there wasn't people calling in, checking in as much. But yeah, like Kristen said, I don't think you ever feel okay, I guess. Like that one friend said, it, it never goes away. You just get used to it. Time does help. It does, you know, it's been coming up to 15 years since my mom's passed away. And of course, like every significant life moment, like, be it a graduation, a wedding, having your child, all those things will bring up those emotions again and make you miss them and wish that they were there. And it's, yeah, it's. I feel like it's a lifelong grieving process. And not to get too preachy, but someone once told me that, you know, Adam and Eve were created to live forever in the garden. And we were never created to deal with loss because it wasn't supposed to be that way, you know? Um, so... Yeah, loss is it's difficult to deal with, but I think time does help. It starts lessening the pain a little bit, and uh, you know, life you just have to move forward. There's you can't be stuck in that feeling forever, but it does fluctuate, comes and goes. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said. Um, I also think you know, for me personally, you know, with with my mom, um, I buried a lot of it. So like you know feeling okay kind of was me telling myself I felt okay but like when you bury it eventually you have to work through it anyway um, which happened when my dad got diagnosed um, with my dad is a little bit different you know it's been a couple of years now like I guess I guess now I could say I'm kind of feeling okay like I'm feeling better the time does help I think I'm a visual person when I think about it I think yeah I have to get used to the fact that the grief will always be there it's not going to dissipate it's not just going to go away just because I've worked through it but I can build on it and make that, you know, it's now a part of who I am, but it's not all of who I am and it's not the biggest part of who I am. You just have to understand that it's going to be there and there's more to your life because you're going to continue building on that. What was your process like to find effective outlets to cope 
with grief? So for me, I, I realized, especially with my dad early on, that there was, you know, things that come back up again that I never really addressed with my mom. I was having a lot of anxiety, a ton of anxiety. And I realized that I needed some form of outlet to just work through that. So therapy was something that I identified as something that I needed to do. And I'm not one that thinks anything negatively about therapy. I think it's a very effective tool. Um, and I encourage anybody who's, you know, thinking about it to at least try it, explore it. So I did. And I, I worked with a, a couple, I have worked with a couple different therapists, you know, since then. I'm not done. Like, I think it's still a working process for me. Um, but that did help. And I think also, like, everybody's different on what they actually need to, to work through this stuff. For me, you know, exercise definitely helps. Listening to music helps. Also finding some sort of creative outlet, I think, was was good for me too. But you got to find the things that you're really looking for and try a few things. Not things that just get your mind off of it, but like you can put it to use somehow. You know, you can get rid of that, I guess, that energy in some positive way. But I think uh, the most important thing is at least just trying to address it head on. What role did grief play in your mental health? And how did that affect your life, friendships, and other relationships? I'll take that one too. Again, just more on what I had said on the previous question. I mentioned the anxiety that I was having. That was just something that I personally was was experiencing a lot of, both like social anxiety as well as health anxiety. Obviously, you see two of your your two parents get sick, and you start thinking, "Well, okay, everybody's vulnerable to this," and it it messes with your head quite a bit. So, the things I noticed changing in myself that I didn't necessarily like was, you know, I was way more irritable, short fuse, you know, lash out. I like ridiculous things. And luckily I had people around me who would just politely call them out one way or another. Um, and I knew those were things that I, I had to focus on because it was my friends and family who were probably starting to be like, okay, well, you know, these are things that we're seeing change in you. And like, of course, we're all going to change through these processes. But the grief led to things within me that I knew that I had to address. And if I didn't address them, they would kind of just, you know, sit there and fester and not do me any favors. So I think that's where like the importance of just working through it somehow you know, for me was, um, was like a priority. Um, cause I didn't like those new characteristics about me that I was seeing. Yeah. I kind of touched on that earlier. Like I, I started getting kind of grumpy and like when people would come to me with things that are everyday problems that are, you know, like my boss was this, or, you know, my boyfriend cheated on me or whatever. And I would just kind of look at him like your problems seem so minuscule compared to mine. And I was not being very nice and I wasn't being a very good friend to them and I didn't like that it's you, you got to pull yourself out of it somehow some way um, for me prayer was very important um, I know everyone's religious journey is different but to me prayer and having those people that will kind of get you out of that funk that will push you to do things that sometimes you don't want to do you don't want to get out of bed they'll they're gonna push you and make you get out of bed um, that was super helpful I think for me, I always had the personality where, and I still do in a sense that I like to internalize everything. I don't like to put anything on anybody else because I feel bad if I, for example, share what I'm going through with somebody else that, you know, now they will feel upset or wherever maybe or try to help. So I like to kind of take things on myself. And I did a lot of that sweeping under the rug with my emotions and kind of like putting on that happy face and as everything is okay, but I'm, you know, dealing with a lot of grief inside. So I think for me, it definitely affected my life and my friendships in a way that I started depending more on the people around me and being willing to open up to like, for example, my cousin or my good friend, when they asked me, 
you know, what's going on. And because keeping it all in definitely does affect your mental health and it does, you know, affect your daily life. So really taking those um, opportunities when people are asking you, what can we do? How can we help you? And just even if they, in a sense, can't help you, just being an ear to listen to you and just to be present makes a huge difference. So I think it definitely affected me to rely on people a little bit more and kind of relinquish that control of wanting to internalize everything, which is something we as humans do a lot of. We all grieve differently. Were you confronted with challenges or pushback in the way you chose to grieve slash deal with your loss? How were you expected to grieve by other members of the family, possibly older generation or an older generation of Assyrians who maintain a lot of grieving traditions like wearing black for a year, not attending events like weddings, not going out to meals, etc. And through this experience, what new Assyrian traditions did you learn that you were not aware of before? Uh, like I said, some people would say, you know, would tell me like, cry, it's okay, cry. When I didn't feel like crying, some would say, don't cry, your mom's with Jesus. And so it was tough with the older generation a little bit. In a way, it's super helpful because the house was always full. So you didn't feel that emptiness as hard. Man, those people were amazing. They literally cooked. There was like food coming out of our ears. We'd have to go donate it to the shelter, a homeless shelter every night. Um, you know, so with that, it was super helpful. But then there's the people who interject their opinion and it does make it difficult. Um, in a way, I wanted to honor that a little bit. I, I chose to wear black for 40 days, not a full year. Um, you know, just because I feel like, not necessarily that my mom would have wanted me to, but my tradition and our culture was very important to my mom. And so I wouldn't want, I guess, to embarrass her by not doing that. I, I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but um, so that I did choose to do. Um, but my dad my brothers nobody put that pressure on me it was my own choice um but we did go out to eat just maybe don't post it on social media but <laughs> um you know we did do that and um a new tradition that i learned i didn't know that on the third day they bring um khurme or dates and um martuha and qawa and it's supposed to symbolize that you drink the last bitterness of the bitter Turkish coffee and then you have something sweet after it to kind of end the grieving process and begin the healing process. So I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that. I personally didn't have pushback as far as um, not being accustomed to the wearing black and not going to events and stuff, which was in a sense very different than a friend of mine had lost her father. It was two different situations in a sense that ours in a sense we weren't we didn't have a lot of pushback because my father was sick for many years. So it was kind of like people were like, okay, you know, now he's in a sense at peace. And it wasn't kind of like, we were always in a sense prepared for the day. We didn't know when it would it would come, but we obviously were preparing that, you know, he's ill, that day is going to come. So we always in the back of our head were in a sense preparing. So when he did eventually pass, people were like, okay, you know, you should be happy. You know, he is now at peace. He's comfortable. He's no longer suffering. So we kind of, and we never had that pushback in a sense with my mom or my aunts and stuff that you guys need to stay at home and don't leave and wear black. They were actually very encouraging for us to, you know, 
continue to go you know, out with your friends, go to your church, go to the youth group, go to school, do everything that you would because, you know, that's what your father would want you to do. He wouldn't want you sitting at home, you know, crying and upset and, and not experiencing life. Um, so we definitely didn't have that push pushback. We have more of that encouragement. But I can understand it from a, a aspect of my friend. When her father passed away, it was very sudden. So they did have more of that pushback and challenges in a sense that, you know, not going, she did not go to events for over a year. She did wear the black and stuff like that. So I can understand two different situations where you could get the pushback and um, where you could have that encouragement to continue moving forward with life um, because this is something that happens to everybody um, at one time or another in life. And then something, a new tradition that I learned was my dad did a lot of the cooking in the house. Um, he found great pride in doing that. Not that my mom was incompetent in that area, but he just loved to take care of everybody and cook and it was just pure entertainment. So I think definitely something I learned was now taking a lot of the role of the cooking. Again, not in a sense that my mom couldn't do it, but I just wanted her and I still want her just to be comfortable and kind of sit and let me take care of her just like they have all of our um, upbringing. So I definitely learned a lot of new cooking skills and just kind of taking on that responsibility, which was a huge thing that my dad did for so many years for us. Yeah, I think I, I touched on this already but uh, I sort of grieve very differently more modern like I wish Assyrians grieved like personally I wish Assyrians grieved like Irish people where they just go to a bar and drink and <laughs> celebrate life versus mourning loss mainly because m my mom to her dying w wasn't like something ending it, it was like dying to her equate like was equated to meeting her lord and savior so it was very sort of celebratory in terms of like what she was moving on to and so i took that to say like or to feel like you know i i don't want to mourn you know too much uh, i didn't like people that were mourning too much and so yeah I, I mean i don't know if i got pushback maybe people talked crap about me behind my back but i don't really listen to that uh, i feel like i kind of again grieved my own way and never really heard about any pushback i do want to touch on like the whole concept of just like events and stuff like that it's come up a lot recently i've had a lot of people die around me just like uncles and aunts and just a plethora it's ridiculous actually how many people have died around me recently there's this huge pressure on younger on like a younger generation if you're planning an event like an engagement or a wedding if someone in your family is sick or has died or like dies very close to it there's pressure for you to cancel the event or postpone it. I just want to say that, like, if you're kind of going through that, it doesn't make sense in our diaspora society. Like, these traditions come from a, a society where, like, they would plan weddings in a week. For us, it takes a year to a year and a half to plan a wedding. And you can't just, like, or even an engagement maybe it takes like six months to plan. You have to book the hall, book the singer, book like everything else and you're planning for it. And then if something happens within that like year or so, it's very difficult for you to, to change everything that happens in between there. Whereas like back home, you know, you could plan something within two weeks. The halls aren't booked years in advance. They're like, they're booked on a Wednesday. Like you could do your wedding on a Wednesday. It doesn't have to be on a Saturday. You know what I mean? Like, so that I think that tradition doesn't mesh with the way things are happening nowadays. So don't feel like forced to do that if you know if you're feeling that. And if you want to talk to 
me about it or just like have me talk to your family about it. I'm, I'm, I'm free to do that because I think there's so many t- weird traditions that we have that when encountered with Western society, they just don't work. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a huge one. And as far as like any new certain traditions that I learned uh, that I wasn't aware of before, not necessarily Assyrian traditions, but like I feel like I'm a like a funeral expert now. I, I know like every single detail that comes with like how funerals are run because I've been to them like so many times and kind of a funny story. I feel like I should be like a funeral consultant, but <laughs> my so my uncle died recently, Alam uh, He was a heftier fellow. You know, they choose pallbearers. Maybe this is a, a Western thing, but obviously even back home, there's people that carry the casket. Here it's more official. They put their names on like the little pamphlet and all that stuff. And they only chose six. And I was like, yo, we need eight for, for, for this <laughs> casket. This is no, there's no way we're going to be doing this. Because um, that walk from like the driveway or the, the, the road to the actual like plot is, is a tough one. And uh, they didn't listen to me. <laughs> And there were six of us, and like, thank God, nothing bad happened. Like, I was in the front, and I om- like, it was very, very, very heavy. <laughs> so, like, just getting them that little like hundred feet from there to there was, um, was really like a tough one. But yeah, I feel like uh, I learned just so many things that I can like advise people on now, which was just like a random funny story but uh yeah if you're hearing this definitely eight pallbearers not six (laughs) depending on the size of the person are there any questions that you never got to ask your parent or parents i wish i would have learned more about their like past their experiences questions about their childhood their initial like romances um how they ended up marrying like you know, my other parent. It's just like all those things. I feel like I, I squeezed some information out of her the last like weeks. But I feel like while I was going through those things, it would have been nice to see what they went through in those similar scenarios. And I, I didn't get to ask. It was it was almost like a weird parental relationship where you don't want to talk about those things. But now looking back and now having children of my own, like I wish... I can also talk to them about that. So maybe it's an Assyrian thing that we didn't really talk about it, but I, I wish I could have asked those questions. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think my parents also never really talked much about their childhood. I, After my mom passed away, I ended up getting my dad um, this thing called StoryWorth. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but basically they email you a question every week and um, you ask your parent that question and then you type in their stories and then at the end of the year they kind of give you like a printed book and it asks questions that you probably wouldn't have thought of like what kind of toys did you play with when you were a child or you know what was your mom like when you were little and especially now that my dad dementia is getting worse I feel like those are the stories that I cherish the most because I didn't know that you know and it kind of I don't want to say humanizes them, but it makes them more relatable, I guess. And um, yeah, I wish I asked my mom more stuff like that. I only know of one story from her childhood, and I, I wish I knew more. I think I'm pretty lucky in that both my parents would tell me a lot of stories from their childhood. Um, my dad's, we talked about, you know, a couple of them. 
usually they're like funny ones um, or something having to do with like, you know, you bring up toys. Like my dad would tell me as a kid, you know, when I would complain, say, hey, I want this toy. He'd say, you know, when I was a kid, I only had one toy. I had one little yellow motorcycle for like 10 years. <laughs> and, and I'd be like, all right, well, that's called progress. So I'd like this other toy. My mom's stories usually would be like tied to some sort of lesson. Like if I, if I didn't get up and go give her a hug at the door, um, when she would get home from work or something like that, she'd be like, you know, when I was a kid, all eight of us would get up when <laughs> Baba got home and we'd go hug him and kiss him at the door and you won't even do that for me. And I'd be like, okay, mom, you're right. And then like, I'd maybe like, <laughs> you know, maybe add like another anecdote or, or two there. So like, you know, I'd, I'd get a lot of that, but I think as you go through life, obviously like new things come up, like two, three years ago, I guess I, I wouldn't have the questions that I have now, like, you know, as you're once you get married and you have kids and you go through other things you get older um you start you know planning for the future etc and those are things that of course i would love to ask them now um and then there's also this kind of like great period too of like they told us a lot about when they came from iraq to the u.s but but it was hard like the their first like five to six years here were like there's so much uncertainty for them and it was probably a really painful time um but I mean, also like, that's like the story of every immigrant, right? Like it's not easy. And those are the things that kind of harden them and make them immigrant parents and, you know, drive them to be the types of parents they are for us. Um, and I'm curious about those things, um, because I'm not going to go through those probably. I don't think I'm going to be an immigrant anytime soon. Um, and those are things that, you know, I'd, I'd want to know more about, but it's situational, you know, as you go through life, new things come up. I think to piggyback off what Paul said, you know, my dad was very open about a lot of questions I would ask him, stories about their upbringing and, you know, migrating and everything like that. But there's obviously, as you, when you're younger, there's a lot of questions, like you said, that you don't ask and you think about them later. But they're always the stories and the answers to the questions were always given in different phases and little snippets here and there. So one thing I know, Peter, you've mentioned to me was, you know, you sat with your uncle and you had a, you recorded his whole life and everything. So I wish, you know, I could have done it all in one sitting and I'm sure gone through, you know, his upbringing. And with that whole being, with that being said, I would have got um, more questions answered and been able to ask more questions and so forth. So I did get a lot of questions answered, but obviously there's a lot more things. But definitely, I guess, to encourage the listeners, if you have um, a, a parent that is still alive, to definitely sit with them and and ask questions and record the questions because you might, you know, get an answer to a question and you'll forget it or, you know, you might have heard it in different pieces and so forth, but just to kind of sit down and get the full amount of your questions answered. And of course, as time progresses, you'll you'll have more questions come up, but just to ask them in the moment um, because there might not be an opportunity to do so later on. If you knew your parent or parents could drop by and visit tomorrow, what would your ideal day spent together look like? This is like a, what, what would you do with the money if you won the lottery question <laughs> for, for me? I mean, for me, I think, like, my dad and I would probably go play golf for sure, um, probably early, uh, just to make sure we have, you know, time at the end of the day. Uh, so I'd say, like, around at Pebble, and then come home back together with the whole family. Uh, like, we got another kid on the way. I'm sure my parents want to spend a lot of time with them. My mom was an excellent cook. So ideal time would really just be, you know, at home around the table. Uh, with everybody there. Hopefully mom would cook a favorite. I'm sure she would. Yeah, for sure. I think um, mom's cooking is <laughs> what a lot of us, or, or dad's cooking, mm-hmm. like Kristen. Um, that's something that like 
when you get that taste in your mouth, like years later, somebody makes something like spot on. Oh my gosh, the memories just come flooding back. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, I would definitely would want to be cooking all day with my mom, writing down every single recipe um, and shopping. She had good style, better than I do. <laughs> I think for me, I'll give background. Um, my dad was an awful dancer. He could not dance to save his life. And we would always say that for those that have watched Friends, we would always say, you know, he dances like Chandler Bing. He would just kind of stand in one place and do his dances. So he'd always kind of do that around the house. So, and then also he loved to go to Costco. He would just spend hours and hours and he would always like bribe me, come with me to Costco. Like I'll get you something from there or whatever it may be. And just love to go through every single aisle. And he was definitely a shopaholic. And he would always give me these like bear hugs and he would always like squeeze me really tight. And I'd always say, like, it was always our joke. I'd say, I have to go to the bathroom. I got to go to the bathroom. So he'd let go, and I'd be like, oh, gotcha. So <laughs> I think, like, to with that background being said, like, my ideal day would be, like, waking up in the morning. He always um, loved to make, like, biathamatha, so eggs and tomatoes together. And then, obviously, go to Costco and spend hours and hours in Costco and then come back, eat Bushala, of course, like, watch him make it from the beginning till the end, um, and then do his quirky Chandler Bing dance moves and I think just have like a big bear hug um, to kind of end the day. Um, it's a great question that I've actually never even thought about, but it like definitely like having a moment here getting teary-eyed, but it's like, um, I feel like I would just watch her be with my children, maybe my brother's children, like the whole day. Yeah, get to see them be the grandparent. It's a sad and happy visualization at the same time. I feel you on that. Is there anything I didn't ask that you would like to share or touch on? Um, I think this connection with our children um, is kind of important. I, uh, After having my first daughter, I named her Inanna Susan after my mom and uh, it was so random she always asked about her she's like um, mom Nana Susie's in heaven I go yeah but you have one grandma here and one grandma in heaven and she um, one day she just started bawling her eyes out out of nowhere and I was like why are you crying she's like I miss Nana Susie and she's never met her before you know so but and I was just like looking at my husband I'm like oh my gosh and she bawled for like a good 30 minutes like it was weird and so I think that connection to our children is so strong, even though they never physically met, but I feel like seeing their influence maybe on us, I don't know if it's passed from us to our children, but it, it's weird. There's some things that are divine that are not answerable, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I definitely think my oldest daughter definitely has a special connection with my mom, even though she's never met her. She brings her up all the time. And all her little drunks, she draws an I with an S for Inanna and my mom, Susan. And she puts a cross in the middle and she said, that's Baba Kocha. And I'm like, okay. It's just, um, it's interesting. So yeah, definitely I would love to see my mom with my kids. I think uh, it's something that changes your perspective on life. It literally changes like everything. For me, it makes you think about like really what's important in life 
makes you question the meaning of life. Yeah, for me, like it led to I feel like a a big life change at a certain point, wanting to do something more meaningful in life that like she'd be proud of, that uh, the world needs, that your community needs. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a defining moment in one's life, and I, especially soon after my mom had passed away, I definitely used to like define my life kind of like a BCAD kind of thing um, <laughs> and sometimes I would say it without even realizing it like I'll be talking about something totally random like oh yeah um, before my mom passed away this happened and it had nothing to do with my mom but I just that's how I told time was like before she passed away and after she passed away um, so yeah it definitely leaves like a huge marker in your life but yeah it's uh, it's I've Till this day, I feel like almost like a different person now because I feel like I was so naive before she passed away. I mean, granted, I was 18, but I always thought I was mature, but, uh, you know, it was a big wake-up call after she passed away. Like, no, <laughs> you were just a little kid, you know, um, and it changes you for sure. I think everything happens for a reason. I know um, it's very difficult, and of course, losing someone very close to you, especially a parent, can be difficult. But everything happens for a reason. I mean, before my, my father passed away, a year before, um, one of the youth members at our church, her father passed away, and I didn't know how to be there for her. I was just, just to be present, and I didn't know the right things to say, what to do to make her feel better. And then I went through that situation and really learned a lot. And a year, a year to two years after my father passed away, another good friend of mine, her father passed away, and it was like, okay, I have so much experience. I have. I've gone through the emotions. I've gone through the cycle. I've gone through the, the first year um, of firsts. Um, so I know what to do and what to say or just what not to say and how to just be quiet at certain moments and so forth. So I think um, just to take each day as it comes and um, learn and grow and really spend time with the people closest to you. Prioritize the things that are important to you. Um, if you're going through something difficult, just try to persevere and get through it because. You never know what impact you have on others around you or what you might have on somebody later on in the future that could really use um, your help. Just like all of us have gone through a similar situation in different ways, but we connect um, and grow together and try to help other people through our experience and try um, to learn from others' experiences as well through our own journeys. Uh, I would say um, I think it's kind of a learning lesson that you, you just pick up. I'm sure everyone at the table probably gets it at this point too every minute counts and I'm not saying I'm, I'm far from perfect on this but sometimes if I feel like I'm just doing something that like ultimately is not super key to my life and like one of my top priorities I don't feel bad when I just say you know what I'm going to change this plan or whatever it is I'm doing because I need I, I know that I need to go do xyz you know whatever it might be um, a lot of times that's spending more time with your family you know I'm blessed to have a big family I'm blessed to have you know um, a lot of great friends and uh, you know in my network and I think more than anything else is just understanding that like nothing's guaranteed then every every one of those experiences you could have can be you know can be a blessing can be a memory um, for for long term so um, it's something that you learn it's a painful lesson of course but at the same time you can gain so much from it because of that like really big moment in your life just changing your your perspective on really what matters 
I think it's just good to ask yourself, honestly answer what matters. Great with that. Thank you, everyone. I, I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Thanks.